welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! Ruth chapter 2 from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but we've got this. So please follow along as I read from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the the, the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheep, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. 
Now Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us in this space. And as we have just read a beautiful chapter of some suspense, of wondering how things will pan out, of being unsure as to whether Ruth and Naomi will be provided for, Lord, would you meet us in the drama of this story? This is your holy and true word Give us your spirit that we would be molded by it, formed in ways that are pleasing to you and ways that are good for our world. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus, once again, we look to him, his first and his second comings. Thank you that you have arrived and that you will come again. Father, would you meet us in our successes and sorrows of this strange year, of this weird season of life. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, that all we need to do is come and believe and follow because Jesus has paid the price and has done the work of our salvation on our behalf. Lord, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So for me, continually as a pastor, a professional burden that I carry is that I always wish I were five years younger, permanently, in all my years of pastoral ministry, I always wish that I were five years younger, and over and over and over again, I'll be grappling with a pastoral situation and think, if only I had more experience, if only I had more wisdom, and then I'll look back and say, if only I had had the experience that I had now, then I wish I could have gone back in a time machine and I would have made some better choices, I would have stressed out less as the years go by. I feel that constantly. And so right now, for example, I feel like I will finally get a handle on how to lead a church through pandemic in 2020 by the time I get to the year 2025. But then I'll have other problems that I'm sure. I feel a little bit like, if you can get this reference, the clam chowder Saturday Night Live skit from the early 90s. Tell me in the chat if you're familiar with that reference. And so in the meantime, I always wish that I would know more so that I would stress out a little bit less. And here's an early example. From my first church early on in pastoral ministry, there was a period of set time where my elders, these two other guys, would tell me consistently, Jim, it's not your job. Jim, it's not your job. And they should have taken it to heart. I tried to, but it didn't really take. I think I've gotten better over time. But then, Jim, it's not your job. I struggled to get there. Some of you know parts of my own backstory where the first church that I pastored is not here anymore. It closed. Uh, Long story, but it was on a decades-long decline, and when I arrived at the church, I was not able to turn the tide. And so I led the church at that stage through a process of closing. And there were a ton of conversations that I had with the members that were still at the church, 
And especially at first, there were a lot of different opinions about what to do, how to proceed, should the church close or should it not. And I was torn up by all of these different perspectives. And I just wanted to have more conversation, more conversation, more conversation, more conversation. And the elders came back to me and said at different points, Jim, it is not your job to bring everybody into alignment. All that you are able to do, and we've got your back on this, is to do your best. Try to be faithful to what you think God has called you to and let those other chips, those other pieces fall where they may. And so for you, what are some things in your life where probably at the end of the day, it's not your job? There are probably some aspects of different parts of your lives, whether it's a relationship, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's finances, whether it's a certain health situation, whether it's the political opinions of friends and neighbors of yours, where you're over-functioning, you're doing a little too much trying to compel outcomes when truly it's not your job. And instead, you should just relax. Isn't it, at the, isn't it the case for us, however, that we would have these situations in our lives when we stress out too much and get too little sleep because we're trying to steer things even though it's not our job? But then there's a flip side, too. I think for us, at least for me, there are other aspects of what's going on in my life right now when I'm not over-functioning, doing too much. I'm actually doing too little. Where there are things that are my job that I should do a better job of. But things are sliding. For me as a pastor, one of the things that is my job, and I constantly need to give this self-care, where it's my job to stay in love with Jesus, for example for my own sake, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my church, and other things too. What are some things where it is your job? It's within your responsibility, but at the same time you're letting it slide. It's such a challenge for us as human beings for us to figure out what is our job, what is not our job, what things fit us and are inside our circle responsibility, and those things that are outside our circle of responsibility. But getting a handle on those things makes us more whole as human beings, and we need help. We need God. How can we figure out to run in our lanes better? This is our job. This is not. We need God's help, and we also need wisdom from this story here in Ruth chapter 2. So in Ruth chapter 2, if you listened last week, you can go on back and check out that sermon, whether on video or on audio. We have been from Bethlehem and back again. So last week, we met our two primary characters so far, Ruth and Naomi, and they experienced and we experienced with them a double bereavement and a double surprise. So Naomi is from Bethlehem. She goes with her family because there's a famine in the land to the country of Moab, and her husband Elimelech dies. There is a bereavement. She had two sons, Malon and Kilion, that married two Moabite women. One of them was Ruth, and those sons also died. Lots of bereavement, lots of grieving. Ruth is a book that invites us to take our grief, take our grieving, take our bereavement, and find healing through the lens of this book, 
but also some double surprises. It's a surprise that Naomi, who is an Israelite, who has been revealed to her, God is the one true God and God's love and character and word, she turns surprisingly bitter towards God. But then on the other hand, we are surprised by Ruth's resilience. She clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Your lot will be mine. And so there's word that comes that the famine is getting better in the Bethlehem region. They go back there, but still they're vulnerable. What's going to happen from here? Verse 1 of Ruth chapter 2 sets the stage. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We'll get back to Boaz in just a moment here, but here we have Ruth taking initiative in the next verse. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And so it sets in motion the rest of the chapter. And you may or may not be familiar with this whole concept of, of gleaning. It occurred in the ancient world. It occurs in agrarian cultures around the world up to this day. It was actually legislated within the Old Testament, the Torah, God's law, where harvest was going on and there would be some grain that would fall to the ground that was to be left for others who were, chances were, poor when they would go and take this extra grain for themselves so that they can have enough. That's what Ruth is going to do and it happens to be in the field of Boaz, a relative. Boaz allows Ruth to glean here. He protects Ruth And he gives Ruth a ton of grain for herself and for Naomi. The story moves forward from there. It's going to be very important later on when we find what's the deal with Boaz being a relative of Ruth and Naomi. Steve Huber is going to be preaching here next week in Ruth chapter 3. We'll pick up that thread then. But Ruth now is in the process of being provided for. And we see from this story, we see from this chapter things that Ruth does, and we can learn for ourselves things that are our job. Things like initiative, things like courage, things like depending upon God. And like I said a couple moments ago, it is important for us as human beings to be clear in our own minds and in our own hearts, what should we do? What should we invest ourselves in? What should we worry about? And what should we let go? And it's a challenge for us to find the right lanes for these things. And we're in a cultural moment right now where a lot of the time we can think that any limit upon us is a bad limit. There's a writer that wrote recently, and I dropped my sheet again. This happened last week. I will work out the pulpit system. I'm still here. But a writer put it this way when it comes to our trying to buck off any limits that are put upon us. Today, The one common feature in American culture is its celebration of the self that breaks away from the constrictions of the family and the state and in its greatest expressions from all limits entirely. We want to break through every limit that we have and it can be thought of Christianity because God in his word does put limits on us that, well, that's necessarily bad. But to me, that simply begs the question. Yes, we should actually have limits. What if, for example, I say, I don't want to live under any limits anymore. All I'm going to do is eat Cool Ranch Dorito chips for the rest of my life. That will be my diet, like lock from lost. Don't tell me what I can't do. 
Well, you're going to tell that friend or loved one who's on the Cool Ranch Doritos diet, this is a bad idea. And you should live within the limits of not having too much junk food. The halitosis itself will be catastrophic. Don't do that. So really the question is, what limits fit us? What limits are actually good for us? What's our job? What's not? And we learn from this story that among the things that we should learn and grow in are initiative and courage and dependence upon God. Ruth takes the initiative in this story. She's not waiting. Again, verse 2 of Ruth chapter 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And then Naomi says, Go. And the field manager reports to Boaz at the end of this first paragraph here, There is this Moabite woman named Ruth. She said, Let me go ahead and do this. And she's doing it. We should grow ourselves in taking proper initiative, understanding from Ruth as well that this took a ton of courage. There are a lot of challenging factors that Ruth is pushing through right here. She's a foreigner, Moab, a Gentile nation. She's back in Israel now in the region of Bethlehem. And over and over again in this chapter, it's not a coincidence where Ruth is not just called Ruth, she's called Ruth the Moabite or the Moabite woman. And she herself in the middle of this story in this chapter acknowledges, I am a foreigner. And that's true, an adverse factor. And also she's a woman and she's a widow, is in danger at different parts of the story. It's acknowledged, but Ruth pushes through. She takes initiative and she shows a ton of courage while at the same time, this chapter, this story encourages us to depend upon the God who is always at work behind the scenes. There's a great behold that we encounter here in verse 4. And if you know the Bible a little bit, especially in the Old Testament, but also the New, there are beholds all over the place. And a lot of the time, what to do with any behold is in the eye of the beholder. Nah. But this behold is an important one in verse 4. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered. It wasn't just any field, but it's Boaz's field, and it just so happened that Boaz comes to meet Ruth on this day at this time. And scholars will say this behold is a wink to the audience, a wink to the reader, as in, what a coincidence! although not really, because we know that God is at work. Or at the end of the chapter in verse 19, when Ruth tells Naomi, it wasn't just anybody in whose field I was gleaning today, it was Boaz. Dramatic irony where the reader knows, but Naomi doesn't yet. This is Boaz. He's our relative. That's so important as the story progresses from here. God is at work, we used the word providence last week, in his caring control of all things to provide for his people. And so Ruth does receive the provision that she needs. That's not just from Boaz's hand, that's from God's. God is at work to provide. In verse 8, once again, Now listen, my daughter, Boaz says, Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close and go ahead and glean here. Or later on in verse 15, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her, and also pull out some extra from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Verse 17. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That is a ton. That's way more than normally somebody would glean in a day. God is preparing a way of provision for Ruth and Naomi, and also protection, where Boaz makes sure that she's not going to be harmed. That is God's hand. God is at work, or inclusion, verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. They're not just sharing a value meal together here. As Boaz grants to Ruth table fellowship, he's communicating to everybody else. She's a foreigner, she's a Moabite, but she is now moving towards being one of us. And it's the same for our lives under God. As we work, as we try to stay in our lanes and use initiative and courage in appropriate ways, we are also able to trust that God is at work around, above, beyond, even sometimes in spite of what we do to care for us. And we can grow in these directions, being a roof, guys and gals. Let's use initiative. Let's exercise courage while at the same time understanding that we can be free to depend upon God. Let's admit some weaknesses here. Initiative and courage, those are things that might not come naturally to us, especially now in pandemic. And I have conversations with a lot of folks. I feel it myself too. Pandemic plus cold plus dark. We just want to hibernate and shut down a little bit by a little bit by a little bit. Instead, we should press ahead to show initiative and courage in our lives in various ways. It's so easy just to go with the flow and practice faux rage online. Let's look to God for strength. Let's look to God for help. Let's look to other people too. Find somebody that you trust and say, hey, there are some areas in my life right now where I need to take some initiative where I need to show some courage, but it's really hard for me. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you encourage me to press ahead in these directions? So what is it for you? I have a lot of conversations with husbands, for example, that admit, and we're not proud of it, we say, I'm just not stepping up to the plate as a husband or as a father right now. I need to take some more initiative. Or a wife in that situation, or a friend, or a son, or a daughter, or a work situation, Where can you grow? But the beauty to me of finding our fit as human beings under God as we come to him through Jesus Christ is we press and seek to find initiative and seek to exercise courage while we depend upon God. And depending upon God, trusting God to be at work in all of the messiness of our lives and all of the messiness of our world that actually balances us and enhances our ability to exercise that initiative and courage because that's our job. What happens all around us, that's not our job. We are freed not to overfunction in that way. If you're an overfunctioner, chances are that a lot of the time you're miserable because so many things you're worrying about that at the end of the day really aren't your job and you can't control it anyway. A couple months ago during pandemic, I read Philip Roth. He's an author. I forget what state, what state he's from. Wait, no, I remember. He's from New Jersey, a great author. He passed away recently. In his last novel, there is a character named Bucky Cantor. Nemesis is the name of the book. He is an overfunctioner. 
And Roth observes, such a person is condemned. He never knows where his responsibility ends. He never trusts his limits because saddled with a stern natural goodness that will not permit him to resign himself to the suffering of others. He will never guiltlessly acknowledge that he has any limits. And when we overfunction and try to do too much, a lot of the time it causes harm as well. A 20th century theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr said, there are some problems in our world related to our not living within limits. He put it this way, man is insecure and he seeks to overcome his insecurity by a will to power. He pretends that he is not limited. And as we pretend that we are not limited, that harms other people, whether person to person, socially, environmentally, we cause harm. But instead, as we use initiative and courage while resting in and trusting and depending upon God, that is freedom for us. It feels great. And it's true. Ruth, if you have read ahead, I encourage you to do so if you haven't, to Ruth chapters 3 and 4, it has a happy ending. And you might think, well, does that guarantee that I'm going to get the same good in my life like Ruth? No. There's no guarantee that we'll get the same good but we are assured that we have the same God. And just as God is providentially committed to Ruth here because we look to Jesus and see that Jesus is crucified and resurrected, this God has promised to be for us. The Apostle Paul puts it this way after the resurrection in his letter to the church at Rome. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Or at the end of the chapter, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're able to say, I'm going to focus on my job. I don't have to over-function. I don't have to under-function anymore. Not everything out there is my responsibility. God, what have you given me to be responsible for? Let me diligently press here. If you're somebody watching this morning, this sermon, this simulcast, you're not sure where you are with God, or you you think, I'm probably a skeptical person. I, I really don't think this is real. I would gently seek to ask the question to you, where and how and in what or in whom are you able to rest? If it's just us, are we able to rest in anything more than me or you or others doing the right thing? Are we truly able to rest in blind chance or an indifferent universe? But instead, I would encourage you to take steps of faith towards our gracious God and truly rest there so that we're able to look at 2020 and all of the messiness and say, let this be the year of silver linings. Let's use our silver linings playbook. Another New Jersey author wrote the book in Collingswood, Silver Linings Playbook. Where are God's beholds that you can find in your own life 
Behold, God is showing up here. Behold, God is showing up there. That's a great question. Ask a friend, hey, would you come back and ask me at various times, where is God showing up? And see if you're not able to be surprised by what God is doing in and around you. So look for God's beholds, and this is where we'll wrap up. Look to God's Christ. Look to Jesus of Nazareth, whom we celebrate in this Advent season, came to earth all of those years ago, a distant, distant, distant descendant of this very family, we'll find out later in Ruth. And just as Ruth came back to Bethlehem, so did Jesus of Nazareth. And the full revelation of God's gracious story for us is even better than what we find in a verse like verse 12 in the middle of our story. Where at this point, Boaz says, The Lord repay for you what you have done, and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We see that because God is a holy God, if only for us we were able to look to God and say, God, would you please repay me for what I have done, we'd be in trouble. That wouldn't be great news in and of itself at all. But instead, God the Father looks to the merit of God the Son, Jesus, who died on the cross, who settled the debt for our sin, who canceled it, so that all that come to Jesus in faith and repentance can know forgiveness forevermore. We are repaid on the basis of what Jesus has paid for us. And it's because of him that we truly and eternally can take shelter under God's wings. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.